Is uh, this mic on? Can you hear me? Is this better now? Okay. There's a switch in it. What it says is worn off, so I never know whether it's on or off. So, you know, now I know. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, let's pray together before we begin. Lord, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for uh, the privilege of being alive at this time and being a part of what you're doing on earth. Pray, Father, that uh, this would be a time of you speaking to our hearts, giving us revelation and growing us in our relationship with you. Praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm amazed that uh, scientists can tell when an eclipse is going to happen and what time it's going to be coming through your area. And I believe them. I said 2.34 tomorrow, and it's supposed to last for about two and a half minutes. So I'm going to walk outside at that time and see if they're right. And uh, there's a passage of Scripture that has always amazed me uh, from the time I first read it. When I first came to the Lord, I read the Living Bible and was just couldn't read enough. And it's in Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, Abram, who later his name was changed to Abraham, is old. He's childless. The clock is ticking. God promised that he would be the father of many nations. But he's beginning to wonder. So God initiates a conversation with Abram one day. And during that time of dialogue, Abram asked God if his servant Eliezer is going to be his heir, since he don't seem to be able to come up with one himself. And God tells him, no, your heir will come from your own body. And then God takes him outside. It's night, shows him the stars in the heavens and says, count them if you can. So shall your descendants be. Then verse 6 makes one of the most important statements in all of the Bible. It says, Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, Abram didn't promise to do anything. He simply believed God's promise. In fact, he immediately asked God, Oh, Lord God, how may I know what you're saying will happen? God's response was to cut a covenant with Abram. Uh, he had Abram sacrifice some animals, cut them in half. And then the two parties making a covenant with one another were supposed to walk between the two sides of the sacrifice. That was the way they did it. However, when it came time to do that, the Bible says that a deep sleep fell upon Abram. But two parties did walk between the two halves. And they're described in the, in, the, in the Bible story as a smoking oven and a flaming torch. Now, I believe that this was God the Father and God the Son. And the persons responsible for keeping this covenant of faith were the two that made it. This is the point that Paul makes in the book of Galatians, that the new covenant is still between the two same parties. 
God the Father and God the Son. And they keep it. But right in the middle of the story, God tells Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they shall return here. Wow, what a perspective. God has already seen the future. Now, in the New Testament, there's another verse that I also consider to be very important in it, and it also talks about time. They're the first recorded words out of the mouth of Jesus when he began his public ministry, and he said this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Those of you that have heard me speak before, Know that I keep a paraphrase of this verse in the front of my Bible, and it reads this way. All the preliminaries have been taken care of, and the rule of God is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable opportunity. Now, that is ultimate reality. The gospel is not pray a prayer and you get to go someplace when you die. You don't enter eternal life when you die. If you haven't not experienced it before you die, it doesn't start later. There is a reality called the kingdom of God. And when you enter into eternal life, you can see it, you can enter it, you can join God in what he's doing. And that is reality. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus tells a parable about a sower who sowed seed that fell on different types of soil. Some fell beside the road and the birds quickly devoured them. Some fell on rocky places with very little soil. And when the sun came out and the young plants became scorched and they withered away, others fell among thorns and the thorns choked them out. But others fell on good soil and yielded a wonderful crop. Jesus explained the parable to his disciples. In This is what he said. He said the seed is the word of the kingdom. That's a powerful thing to grasp. Everyone in each scenario described hears the word. But those represented by the roadside have been so walked on and trampled down that they do not understand the word when they hear it. And the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in their hearts. And and Luke adds in his account, so that they will not believe and be saved. The rocky soil represents those who hear the word and get excited about it when they hear it. But when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, they immediately fall away. Now, let me, let me make a, a statement. If you grasp that the gospel is the kingdom of God is here now, and you enter into that, you will be persecuted and you will have affliction because of the word. The devil resists this understanding. He resists it big time. Because it is the message Jesus came. I told people, you know, Jesus wasn't here selling condos in the sky or hell insurance. He was here bringing his life 
for you to experience and get in on why you walk the earth. That's the gospel. But if you grab hold of that and, and submit to the rule of God, it's going to threaten people that don't. And they will persecute you. And there will be affliction because of the word. I'm just telling you that goes with it. And rocky soil people are people that when the affliction and the persecution comes, they fall away. The one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns is the one who hears the word. And, the wor- and it says, the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for things, the pleasures of this life, choke out the word and no fruit will be brought to maturity. But the one on whom the seed was sown on good ground is the person who hears the word. Now, all of them hear. But Matthew says they understand it. Mark says they accept it. Luke says they hear the word in an honest and good heart, and they hold it fast. That's what brings forth fruit. He adds, that person bears fruit with perseverance. Now, if, if I take this story literally, and I do, then only one in four people in this room will receive today's word. That's okay with me. If it's just one, that's okay with me. But let me just say, if this is you, and you will know, if this is you, please know that this is a word from the Lord for you at this time and determined to hold it fast. Are you okay with that? Okay, good. Now, Jesus promised his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount that if they would seek first the kingdom of God in his Righteousness, or it could be translated, its righteousness, the righteousness that goes with the kingdom of God, then all their needs in life would be met. And what Jesus was saying again was that the rule of God is on the earth and is now accessible to everyone. Look for what God is doing. Because with God's rule comes the righteousness, the ability to be a part of His activity. Look for it. His righteousness, not yours, His. We've been studying the book of Galatians in our men's Bible study on Wednesday morning. Recently we read Galatians 3.11. And the message paraphrase states it this way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Man, I like that paraphrase. Let me, let me read. I just think I'll read that again, okay? The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Do you like that? Earlier in the year when I spoke to church, I talked about how God dealt with me concerning my concept of time. I was complaining at that time to anyone that would listen about how I hated going to required meetings with my job and how it wasted my time. As I went into my office and sat down, the Lord all of a sudden just started speaking into my heart. And he says... Tommy, it's not your time. It's my time. 
I made this day before the foundation of the world, and I've prepared good works for you to walk in, so you need to be looking and adjust to what I am doing. Our, our meetings are always on Wednesday. He said, I make Wednesdays too. That rhema word from the Lord has changed my life. I view every day differently now. I hold on to my own agenda very loosely. And I receive with joy the interruptions in my day. I really do. I see them as opportunities to join the Lord in His bigger kingdom purposes. Well, I like it. But recently, the Lord has begun putting His finger on something new in my life. And to tell the truth, I don't like it. Because it has to do with relationships. I want to ask a question. Do relationships belong to you and me, or do they belong to God? Don't answer it, just think about it. Let me tell you about my weekend. Friday night, Bonnie and I hosted a young man named Jim. I say he's young, he's 58. That's young to me. In our home, who's an Anglican priest in Tallahassee, Florida. I had been his social studies teacher in the ninth grade during the school year, 1972-1973. My classroom was near the gymnasium of the high school, and he used to cut P.E. so he could come talk to me during my free hour. Before he arrived at our home, he texted me to say that it is amazing how much happened in nine months in my life through you? Now, I didn't really know what he was talking about. So when we got together, I asked him. And he reminded me that when we first met, I really didn't like him and I wasn't interested in having a relationship with him. And he was right. And let me tell you why. Man, I'm a track coach. People I hang out with are athletes. You know what I'm saying? He's kind of squatty and socially not real cool. And um, but 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 the real thing was he had recently become a Christian, and he got started going to this church called Charisma Chapel down in Naples. And he's got caught up in all this charismania, and he was just giddy, man. I mean, he just was giggling about everything and wanted me to get this baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I'm Baptist. He's talking about Derek Prince and Bob Mumford and Charles uh, Simpson, all these people. You know, uh, the fact that I didn't speak in tongues was a problem, and I'm, I just I didn't want to have anything to do with him. I wanted him to go away. But he didn't. And as we talked more and more, I discovered that here was a 14 or 15-year-old boy who uh, was holding on desperately to the Lord. He was an only child, had a very dysfunctional home life, and as time went on, I actually valued our time together. And we've been friends for 45 years. I asked him what he meant by his text, and he said, 
I tell people that you impacted my life. More than any other person I've ever known. I was shocked. What? Man, I was immature myself. I'd only come to know the Lord less than a year before that. Man, I was, I was, my humor was pretty crude. Well, earthy. Other people's humor was crude. Mine was earthy. But it was raw. I have no idea how I acted. And, I, and so I said, how? He said, I was a new Christian, and when I met you, you were the first authentic Christian I had ever seen. He said, as you taught social studies, you talked about how people who know God could make it our nation better. You spoke about the racism of our day. And the social injustice that you saw, I never forgot that. And I decided then and there that Christian ministry is one to give my life to, and I have. I had no idea. And I share this not to brag on myself, but to stress that you never know what God is orchestrating in relationships. You have no idea. I, I, I see relationships like throwing a rock into a still body of water. And there are ripples and concentric circles of influence that you can never imagine. But God sees the big picture. Do you realize that when I met Kathy Makinson, she was 15 and a Catholic, and I had to go to her mother and ask permission for her to come to our youth group in Florida? At that time, I think God gathered some angels around, look at this, and said they had no idea that one day they'd be grandparents to the same kids. <laughs> no idea. God is an amazing God. And He knows each of us in our story. And we have no idea what He's doing. But He is. Man, He is. D.L. Moody was instrumental in the Christian conversion of a nameless shoemaker. That shoemaker shared the Lord with a young boy named Billy Graham. And Billy's influence has impacted a nation. Kingdom life happens along lines of relationship. I believe when Jesus walked the earth, uh, he modeled for us what relationships should look like. He had 12 men in his inner circle, and. Uh, he spent quality time with them, and of the twelve, he had three that were closest to him, and of the three, there was one with whom he was most intimate. Man, I love the fact that when Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary and said, you're going to have the Son of God, and she said, let it be done to me according to your word, 
she immediately had someone that she could go to that would understand. And it was her Aunt Elizabeth, who had a secret of her own. Isn't that an amazing thing? Well, I, I, I kind of look at my own life through this same template. I know who the one is in my one that's most intimate, and that is my wife. And I am so thankful. I think not everyone uh, has that in their marriage. The three, other than immediate family, who are, are men... Who, who would come immediately to my aid if I needed them and ask them to. And I would drop everything and go to them as well. The larger 12 I could list if I was pressed to, but these are people who know my heart, who love me just like I am. Not the image, just like I am. And we have a long history together. I would be honored for, them to, honor for any of them to speak at my funeral. But you see, I already have my relationships worked out. And I would just assume that God would leave that alone. But what if God wants to break into my little group for His eternal purposes? In them? Or in me? Or for His kingdom? What if he has someone that he intends to be one of my twelve? And my best friend is probably my most recent addition to that. What if maybe he has someone that he intends to be one of your three? Are, are we open to that? I mean, being honest, you don't just don't just are we open to that? And if we are, then how would that happen? I don't know. How's that for an honest answer? But let me tell you what I think is important. The reason I don't know is because it's a God thing. He does it. But if your heart is good and honest to receive the word of the kingdom, then you will recognize it and will be willing to make the adjustment. These are the things that I believe are important if it's ever going to happen. First of all, we all have to repent, change our way of thinking. Our relationships are not our own. They don't belong to us, they belong to God. Now, I had to deal with the time thing, and I, I, I can handle that. The relationship thing, I know that's the truth. And I'm, oh, I've told the Lord I'm okay with that too.
The kingdom of God is at hand. It is. And we must choose which kingdom we're going to live in in all areas of our life. We've got to. We must willing to look to the Lord to rule our relationships as much as we look to Him to rule our time. And this is a word to myself as much as it's a word to anyone else. Secondly, we must be seeking God's kingdom, looking for it in the righteousness that accompanies it. First and foremost in our lives, if I am truly looking, I cannot miss what God is doing. Problem is, he's speaking all the time, and most of us are so caught up in our own little kingdom and our own little agenda, we don't hear it. Lord speaks to me a lot of times when I finally let my guard down. I'm out mowing the yard, not thinking of nothing. All of a sudden, he says, Hey, here's an opening. Boom. Or I'm in the bathroom. Here's an opening. Boom. In the shower. And when he speaks, you know. Thirdly, I would say, be bold. Have courage. See, we all want somebody else to initiate in relationships. <laughs> if that's the case, it never will happen. We need to ask God to give us grace to receive His grace. The grace to obey Him when we sense He has spoken. And then we must give expression to whatever impressions we may have from Him. And I would say initiate time in relationships with, with someone that you feel God is leading you to. When I first came to the church, I went to the Thursday morning Bible study before I, before I got a job. Went back to work. And in that time, I looked around and the Lord showed me the men in that group that I could relate to if I would. wasn't most of them, but it was a few of them. And he said, go to lunch. Just get to know them. And I did that. But a lot of times we feel things, but we don't act because of timidity or whatever. Fourthly, we must be open to receive what God may be doing, even though it may not seem attractive to us at first. Now, a need does not constitute a call. Don't, don't get under, well, I know I need to deal with this. No. Just do what God says. Now, now this is how I talk to myself. I, I tell myself, man, I don't have time for relationships. I'm tired after work. I'm an introvert, and I really am pretty shy, unless I'm speaking. I don't like being around a lot of people. <clears throat> Give me my inner group, and I'm happy. That, that, that drains me, being around people. I want to ask you a question. Whose kingdom does that sound like to you? <laughs> 
not the Lord's. And, and, and finally, we must have hope and expectancy that God will work authentic relationships in our lives if we will ask Him to. See, most people have been so disappointed, particularly in church life, that, man, I don't want, I don't want no more of that. I'm looking for some real people. I ain't looking for people that are, that are acting weird. Serious. We, 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 we must have the expectancy that this, God wants this for us, and He's already got it planned out if we will look for it. He would do it His way and in His time. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4 that God intends for all of us to grow to spiritual maturity, even to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Wow, what a statement. Then he explains how that happens in verse 15 and 16 of Ephesians 4. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself itself in love. A joint is where two parts touch. How about that? You cannot. We cannot mature as Christians the way God intends unless we are in relationship with other parts of the body of Christ. Healthy relationships. I'm not talking about sitting around being fake. Saying what we think the other person wants to say. Having somebody that we can share our sense of loss with. Over the fact that our kids or our grandkids aren't turning out the way we hoped they would. Or whatever. This me and Jesus got a good thing going. It's not God. That's not New Testament Christianity. You and I have the privilege of being a part of a much bigger story than our own little kingdoms. Now, I told John I would speak this morning because I sensed the Lord wanted me to, but I had no idea what He wanted me to share. And it became Saturday. And I still had no idea what the Lord wanted me to share. Of course, I had company. It had been a long, hard week. I was tired. As soon as my friend Jim left to go head home, I sat down, and in just a matter of moments, he just said, All right, here it is. I said, Whoa, yeah, I mean, this is great. This is good. When I got up this morning... I found this book, and I use this part of my devotional, by Paul David Tripp, called New Morning Mercies. And when I got up this morning, this is what I read. 
Let me just share with you. Corporate worship is meant to so enthrall you with God's grace that you want to be an instrument of that grace in the lives of others. Life in a fallen world is hard. Ministry to fallen people is hard. Together they leave you exhausted, discouraged, tempted to be a, a, a cynic. You simply cannot live with sinners and not be sinned against. I understand why people, after experiencing the hurt and disappointment that so often mars our relationships, decide to live in isolation or in, comfortable, or in a comfortable collection of terminally casual relationships. Casual. You don't know me. You just know who you think I am. I understand why people hide their hurt and refuse to talk about painful topics with one another. But there's one thing that I do also understand. And that is that for the believer, relationships are not a lifestyle option. No, they are an essential piece of God's calling upon our lives. Biblical faith is fundamentally relational. It's shaped and driven by two primary communities. First and foremost is the community with God. That is the whole reason for our existence. Then there's God's call not only to live in self-sacrificing love of your neighbor, but also to be a tool of God's work in your neighbor's heart and life. We need help to face the often overwhelming call to relationships. And part of God's purpose is corporate worship so that we can come and correct our vision. Gathering after gathering is intended to so enthrall you with the grandeur of God's grace that you can't think of anything better than being a tool of that grace in the life of others. Now, I felt like when I read that this morning, that's a confirmation of what the Lord gave me to share. Very much. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Be glad in it. Let me just say that if you have heard this word today and understood it and accepted it, and your heart is good and honest, hold it fast. Hold it fast. And you will see the Lord, the fruit that the Lord will bring from it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time and history. Thank you for choosing us before the foundation of the world for yourself. Thank you for placing us in your son so that we would be holy and blameless before you so that we would be able to uh, do the good works that you planned before you ever made the world to do through us uniquely in our place and in our time. I thank you for uh, the fact that you have your hand upon us, that you have relationships for us that are for the benefit of both parties, but also for your kingdom purposes. Continue to speak to us, Lord. I praise you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.